Hi, and welcome to Wednesdays in the Word. I'm John Seipert, pastor of Preston Highlands Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas. On this podcast, I'll be addressing questions that members of our church have sent in regarding the sermon I preached last Sunday. If you'd like to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. Or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to john at PrestonHighlands.org. Well, last Sunday I preached on the church's sexual ethic, and we covered a lot of ground. And I'll have to admit, it was one of the hardest messages I've ever preached in my pastorate. Hard not because it was complicated or dense material. Hard because we covered issues that are hotly debated in the culture and tend to get people, both Christians and non-Christians, worked up and heated in conversations. And also hard, frankly, because sexual sin and brokenness is a part of all of our lives. And what I tried to do, my main, really the main thrust of my message was that the way we need to engage on these issues is with truth and grace. The way we need to engage on issues of sexuality is the way that Jesus came to engage with us, namely with truth and with grace. I said, and this is the main point of the message, I said that what we must stand on is truth and grace is how we must stand there. Truth is what we must stand on and grace is how we must stand there. Now, for today's episode of Wednesdays in the Word, we're going to cover two of the questions that came in. And joining us this week is a special guest, someone who I think very highly of, someone who I think is able to address these questions more ably than I, and someone who many of you already know. Our guest has a Master of Arts degree from Redeemer Theological Seminary and has served in ministry for over 15 years. She's been married for almost 13 years, is the mother of three children, loves baking, and loves beating me in Catan. Thank you, Susie Seipert, for joining me today for Wednesdays in the Word. It's my pleasure to be here. Let's get started. All right. So thanks for being here, Susie. I'm going to read the questions that we'll, we'll tackle today and then turn it over to Susie to to answer. So the first question is, or the first person writes, I should say, they say, I know two people who are in counseling now who were sexually abused in their younger years. Both are greatly struggling. So can you please offer some practical ideas on how we can support, encourage, cry with, love, and walk with brothers and sisters in Christ that are actively involved in counseling and treatment and yet still deeply hurting. I'm not sure how to help besides listening to Christian podcasts, talking, listening, and reminding them of God's greatness. Any ideas on how to encourage and support their recovery efforts would be greatly appreciated. Susie, what would you say to this person? Well, I'd like to start by just saying in your question, you're already showing me that you are doing a lot of good things. You're listening. You are entering into their pain with them. You're crying with them. Um, You're trying to grow in what you know by listening to podcasts and reminding them of God's love for them and his greatness. All of these are really, really great starts. And so I'm going to cover some do's and don'ts and you can add to what you're already doing 
from what I what I share. Um, I'm going to first start with the don'ts because um, a lot of people's sometimes knee-jerk reactions or curiosity can actually lead to more harm in that person's life because of what it communicates to them, which is not what is probably intended to be communicated, but as a victim, it's what they hear. And if you've never been a victim, you can't always foresee what those comments are going to do to that person. So I'm going to start off with what you should not do. Um, the first thing you shouldn't do is um, ask questions just out of like morbid curiosity. Okay, their life is not a docu-series on Netflix. You don't need all the details. You don't need a play-by-play. Let them lead you in how much they want to share. You are just there to be open and welcoming and listening to them and a safe place for them to share, but let them lead with how much they want to share. And that'll also help them kind of feel more trusted and heard and not just like a, ooh, this is some, you know, gossip or interesting story um, for them to hear. The second thing is be careful with the questions that you ask, because there are certain questions that are going to lead to them feeling like it is their fault. So, for example, you want to avoid questions like, well, did you ask anyone for help? Did you tell anyone when you were younger? Uh, Why didn't you talk to anybody? Um, Why did you wait so long to tell someone? Um, Anything that kind of puts the responsibility of the action on that person, um, especially, this applies to everyone, but I think especially for people who were young, who were teens and children when it happened to them, um, it can be so damaging to put the responsibility for like the justice of the situation on their shoulders when really it should have been the other person who committed the sin, the crime, who is at fault and not the victim. Um, so th- those are some big things not to do. Um, and now I'm going to share some things that you should do. Um, as I already said, you want to be a safe place for them to feel like they can come and be as honest as they need to be. Um, without feeling um, belittled, without having their situation minimized. So that's, you could put that under the not do, don't minimize it. Um, Let's say that they weren't raped. Let's say there was just um, like a not as severe level of abuse, but it's still trauma. It's still abuse. It was still scary to them. It's still affecting them. And so don't say, well, at least this didn't happen, or at least that didn't happen. Um, You want to match them with how they feel about that situation. So if they feel um, scared and hurt and troubled, um, you wouldn't say something like, well, that was 20 years ago, right? Because to them, and the way trauma works, which I'm not going to get really into, but it, it doesn't feel like that. It's impacting them um, just as much as today, likely, as it was then. Um, So you want to be a safe place. You want to match them and how they're feeling. Um, You can ask them how their counseling is going, right? Just be a place for them to kind of rehash what they're doing in counseling. Um, John offered some great resources if you want to pick up a book on um, what it's like to be a victim or how to help 
how to walk with someone. They're just understanding the way they think and process things can be super helpful. Um, praying with them and being patient with them because the the hurt that was caused to them is severe. And it is a hurt that is so, um, I think, against God's model. Um, it's It harmed both their body and their soul, their mind. It it can destroy the, the oneness that God meant for sexuality to bring and the intimacy and the safety. And so you want to make sure that you're um, just being very delicate with that situation and just helping them feel safe and cared for in that place. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? A quick follow-up on that ask is as you're walking with this brother or sister in Christ who's in counseling, is it appropriate to ask them how their counseling is going and talk to them about the counseling itself? Yes. And, and you can, again, let them lead in the situation. Um, because a lot of times, especially as a victim, they might think that nobody cares about them. And so allowing them to feel like they can talk about the counseling, they can talk about um, a journal entry they wrote, um, having them share something like that, just letting them know that you are there for whatever kind of conversation they want to have. Um, if they shut it down or are really not interested, then you just kind of let them lead. But you're sending a message to them that you care by asking. You're sending a message that you're willing to listen and that... Um, that's what you're there for. And I think that's, especially as a victim who wasn't maybe heard, who, when they said no, who wasn't listened to, whose voice was suppressed, who maybe wasn't believed by friends and family, having someone who is there listening and hearing them is just so, so incredible. Yeah. Amen. I, I think that's so key. What, what Susie said there is just people knowing that you care, um, that people who've been deeply wounded through uh, childhood sexual abuse or any sexual abuse for that matter, but especially childhood sexual abuse because it's had such a long standing place in their lives, I think, and, and, and mostly hidden and kept quiet about. So when you show that person that you genuinely care about their story, that you genuinely want to listen and le learn and understand not what happened, like like Susie said, not getting into the details, but understand how they're processing it, how they're really feeling about it, and, and the ways it's affected them as a as a grown person is so loving. It just goes a long way to tell that person that, that person I love you, and and so that's that's just really key. I would just uh, by way of resources, Susie mentioned. Uh, some things I, I pointed the church to on Sunday in the list of recommended resources I gave out on Sunday. But uh, to be more specific here, I would recommend Dan Allender's book, Dr. Dan Allender's book called The Wounded Heart, especially if you're walking with someone who's undergone or been a victim of childhood sexual abuse. From what I've heard from other experts in the field and counselors, and even read for myself, Dan Allender. Dan Allender's book is the place to start. Not only if this is something that you're dealing with, you're processing, but if you're walking with someone who's been abused sexually as a child, Dan Allender's book, The Wounded Heart, is where to start. And then, secondly, if you want to go a level or two or five deeper, 
uh, then then read pick up this little book called uh, the body keeps the score um, the body keeps the score it's written by a doctor and it's secular in nature but super helpful in helping us understand how trauma like abuse like childhood sexual abuse affects deeply affects our bodies and how we carry those wounds in our bodies throughout our lives and and what we can do about that so the body keeps our score if you want to go even deeper but the wounded heart would be the place i i would recommend uh, you start that's good good stuff susie uh, thanks i appreciate that okay the second question that we'll address today the writer says this they say you said in the sermon that quote all sexual expression belongs in marriage end quote how should those who are single approach this and live in light of this since people do not just become sexual beings all of a sudden when they get married what aspects of sexuality are important to address during singleness this is a really 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 good question by the way and I'm so glad that it came in. And I remember even while I was preaching, thinking, oh, I don't think that was the best word choice for what I'm trying to say here. So just by way of quick clarification before I jump into the question, um, by sexual expression, I really meant sexual activity. In other words, I was saying that all sexual activity, all sexual you know, uh, behavior, rightly belongs in marriage but this question though of expressing our sexuality if we're not married is a really good question as the questioner said it's not as if we just become sexual beings all of a sudden when we're married we get married so then what are aspects of our sexuality that are important to um, address during singleness and so uh, since i have um Susie here. I'm going to turn it over to Susie again and let her answer this one. Susie, what do you think? I, I think this is a great question. I'm really glad it was asked um, because I think it's something that is not talked about enough, or I think it's probably not talked about at all. And um, while I'm answering this, I might tend to like kind of speak to ladies because I am a lady, but just know that if I use a certain pronoun or situation, you can really flip it for either um, gender. So the first thing I'm going to say is just, uh, I think, just accepting that you are a sexual being. Like that can be such a hard thing for people to accept. Um, there are people who just feel like sex is dirty, who feel like it's impure. Um, and so accepting that as good would probably be the first start and that your body is good and the way God created it is good and the attraction and desire that you feel is good. You have to really differenti differentiate your desire and your sexuality from the way that people misuse sexuality and misuse sex. Those are two different things. It is not sex and se sexuality that are bad, but it is the misuse of those things that are bad. And that's what the Bible refers to as sexual immorality. So when I'm talking about sexuality and sex, I'm talking about the good thing that God created and not the misuses of it. And the first thing that you can do besides accepting <clears throat> that you're a sexual being 
and accepting your body is really just taking care of yourself, valuing, valuing yourself. Um, that can be, I mean, I know it might sound silly, but getting good rest, maybe it's exercise, um, making sure you're eating in a way that's treating your body well, because your sexuality and your body are very connected. Um, the way you were conducting yourself with your body or maybe even talking about your body if you just look in the mirror and just tear yourself down that is going to impact your sexuality because you're going to feel undesirable you're going to feel worthless you're going to feel like no one can ever care for you and that you shouldn't be cared for and that will affect your ability um, to be loved by others to have intimacy um, and to just have any kind of um positive experience in that area. Uh, the next thing that once you've conquered that is looking at just doing things that uh, embrace your womanhood or manhood. So as a female, that could be maybe if you have a fear of dresses or looking too pretty or makeup, it just, you kind of feel scared to be a woman because it's tied to sexuality. I would encourage you to kind of, um, do those things that you're scared to do as far as being female, right? There is a difference between male and female. Um, for the for the men, same thing. Do things that make you feel um, like a strong man, right? Whether that's taking uh, leadership in things or, I mean, you don't have to build things. It could be any kind of male God-given role and really just feeling confident and thriving in that. Um, and that's another thing, creating something. Um, you know, God gave us, one of the things God gave us sexuality and sex for was for procreation. But there is a sense of um, when you create, you really kind of are putting your mind and your body together in this act of creation. And it's not a sexual act. You could be painting, you could be building, sculpting, fixing a car, um, all of these things. And that is actually going to play into you as a person, as a female, as a male, and your sexual expression. Um, and then just kind of feeling a confidence in yourself, um, taking yourself out on a date. If there's something that you really want to do, you don't have to wait for a man or a woman to like be your boyfriend or girlfriend and join you in that. You can treat yourself to things. You can um, find a way to just and this is going to sound kind of silly, but love yourself and value yourself and not look for that external validation of a man or a woman who sees that in you. But you you get that from the Lord. He created you male. He created you female. He created you and he loves you. And so finding a confidence and a peace and a rest in that and not just kind of putting your life on pause until someone comes along and gives you meaning. And so those are the ways that I think that as a single person, you can really find that sexual expression um, and, and learn to thrive in that before you're married and able to have the sexual activity part of that. And if you're a lady, there's an article I can I recommend. Um, if you just shoot me an email, suzycypert at live.com, I would be happy to send it your way. That kind of goes into a little bit more depth of how you can do this, because I know as ladies, um, the culture and other things have kind of uh, led many Christian women to really struggle with 
accepting their sexuality and feeling comfortable in it. And that can cause issues for them and their marriages. And it's something that I would love to see growth and change in. Amen. Amen. That's really good. Uh, so much good stuff there for, for guys and gals. Uh, I love how you said that our sexuality is not inherently bad, but actually inherently good. Sexuality and immorality are two very different things. Uh, two very, very different things. And that there are indeed ways to express, if I heard you right, you can express your sexuality as a single person without any sexual behaviors. Would you say that that's what you're saying? Correct. You don't have to have any sexual activity to be expressing how God made you female or male. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a really good point because I think our culture has trained us or maybe it's just our depraved minds. I don't know. But when we hear the word sex, we automatically think, you know, the sexual activity or sexual behavior. But but really, at its most basic level, sex is our gender. We are male or female. That is our sex. And then there is behavior and there is activity that comes out of that in the marriage context. But our sexuality um, at its most basic level is our gender. And I, I just think Susie had a lot of good advice there. More could be said, certainly, about how we as men or women can express that gender in ways that are fun and freeing and uh, and godly and pure and, uh, and and not only good for us, uh, but also good um, for our future spouse. If the Lord wills us to be married, married, then the more comfortable we are in our sexuality as a single person, I, dare I say, the more comfortable we will be as we head into a marriage relationship. And so there's so much to chew on here. More could be said. Uh, I might, I might point you to two resources that are, that are kind of on this topic, um, uh, maybe slightly more uh, broad than this specific topic. But John Piper and Wayne, Wayne Grudem edited a book called Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. They published this book like almost 30 years ago when evangelical feminism was really just coming on strong and it's still coming on strong. And I love that in the, the beginning of the book, I think it's Piper's, one of his introductory chapters, just highlights the beauty of what it means to be female and the beauty of what it means to be male. There's something just intrinsically beautiful about your gender, God-given, God-assigned, not self-assigned, God-assigned gender. So uh, recovering biblical manhood and womanhood is in our church library. And then if you want to even that's a pretty big book, by the way. If you want a shorter and sweeter version of that one, Piper did a little book called "What's the Difference?" What's the difference um, on on manhood and womanhood? So these are really good questions. Thanks for sending them in. Uh, I know others sent in questions. Sorry, I didn't get to all of them this week. And I want to just say a very special and uh, just big thank you to my bride Susie for being here. She is way smarter than me. Most of you already know that and has so many good ideas and good thoughts, um, especially uh, along these lines. So thank you, Susie, for being with us on Wednesdays in the Word. And Lord willing, we will have you back again soon. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
that's all for this episode of Wednesdays in the Word. Thanks for sending in your questions. If you want to listen to previous sermons, go to PrestonHighlands.org. Or if you'd like to send in a question, you can email it to John at PrestonHighlands.org. Until next week, may God use all of us for His glory in this generation.